Father, we thank you for this morning and this uh, time, God, that we had just to worship you. And Father, I pray that you would just continue to speak to us through your word that you've given Brother Lee this morning. Father, just work in our hearts. God, show us things in us that need to change. Or God, just reveal things in us, God, that maybe we don't see. I pray that you would just work on our hearts this morning. So we give this time to you, and we just pray that you would just have your way in the rest of our service. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Did they tell you they call themselves staff infection? <laughs> they didn't tell you that? I think that name will catch on. That's pretty good. Staff infection. Good job, guys. We all need this little staff infection to brighten up today, don't we? All right. Our confession. Let's say our confession together. The Word of God, the Spirit of God, the people of God are all we need and we need each desperately. Amen. All right, we're going to go back to 2 Samuel now. Had a little week off. And uh, today, this is about accusation, revenge. We got some fear in here. We've got what is mine to have. That's a big one. Be amazed probably for us to find out if we really quizzed ourselves all the difficulties we have gotten ourselves into because we believe something was ours to have. And we fought for it. We negotiated for it. And when we got what was mine to have or ours to have, oh my. It wasn't what we thought. We've got some political maneuvering in this. We've got some murder. And believe it or not, we've got a good funeral. A good funeral. Are you aware that sometimes a funeral is a good funeral? Sometimes. It depends on the situation. But you have a good funeral. And David experienced a good funeral. Or you could probably lump them all together and just say a juicy soap opera, Peyton Place. In England, they have a show. I don't know if it's still on anymore, but I remember my grandmother, the whole world stopped when Carnation Street came on. And boy, she would watch that over and over and over. And, and all the English people, just England would stop. It was almost like the World Cup for them when that would come on TV because it was a juicy soap opera. Sometimes you can just be rocking through life. Your family, maybe at work, at school, in your neighborhood perhaps. You can just be rocking through life and you're just innocent. You're just along for the ride and things happen that are out of your control, out of your influence, and it makes your life very difficult because of this problem with this person and this person's problem with this person and how all that works and all pulls together. And here you are just doing what you do. You're not involved in it. You have no part to play in it. You may absolutely be oblivious to what's going on, and yet you're pulled right into it. And so I think today... 
we see here some good lessons for us to help us when we are that innocent standbyer. We're just hanging out. We, we're, we're not part of the thing. We're not part of the, all the commotion. We're not part of the conflict. We're not part of the struggle that's going on. But we get caught up in it. And here's how we respond. That's what happened to David here today. So, 2 Samuel chapter 3. First of all, let's look at the accusation. The accusation in verse 6. As the war between the house of Saul and the house of David went on, Abner became a powerful leader among those loyal to Saul. Remember Abner. We've already visited with Abner. Abner's a powerful military commander. He was for Saul, and now he is for Ishbosheth. He's the man in charge. One day, Ishbosheth's Saul's son accused Abner of sleeping with one of the fathers, one of his father's concubines, a woman named Rispah, daughter of Ai. There you go. Now, Abner, we'll find out in just a moment, Abner doesn't deny that he's had relations with Rispah. He doesn't deny it. But he is absolutely incensed that it would be brought up. You see, for it to be brought up that someone had relations with one of the king's concubines, it means that that guy is taking more power than is rightfully his. He is taking what are the benefits of the king and making it his own. And so it's an unhealthy dose of elevating yourself to a place where you don't belong. And so now, obviously, Ishbosheth, he doesn't have any concerns for Rispa. Rispa is just a pawn along the way. Poor Rispa. We don't know how Rispa became one of Saul's concubines. We don't know if it was her choice or not. We don't know whether or not she enjoyed that life. We don't know that the benefits for her outweigh the, the negatives of being a concubine. We have no idea about that. All we know is here she is doing her thing, whatever her thing was, and she is brought in on an accusation. An accusation. Now, we have learned in our day and time that accusation is probably one of the best schemes that someone can use to get to a powerful person when you can't get to them in any other way. We live in a day and time where all you got to do is accuse someone of something, and that's pretty much it. You know, that's when the firestorm starts. I wonder whether or not uh, the thing with Kavanaugh, all that, that happened and transpired with that, I, I, I really want to know one day how all that got started. Did, did they look at the situation and say, it looks like we have no other means to defeat this guy's appointment to being a Supreme Court guy? We have a final card. It's called accusation. Let's accuse that guy and see what happens. Well, that's pretty much what evidently happened. 
And we don't know for sure whether or not any of those accusations were right or wrong. There, there wasn't any strong evidence to support that it was absolutely true. It was just an accusation. And so accusations are very, very strong. You may be in a situation at work and someone is, is, is accused of something. They may be innocent, but they're railroaded because they were accused of it. So what do you do when you're accused of something? What, how, how should have Abner have responded? Well, we learn here how he did respond, not saying this is the right way to respond, but this is the way he responded. He responded with revenge. He responded with revenge. Look at verse 8. Abner was furious. Listen to what he says. Am I some Judean dog to be kicked around like this? Boy, he's a powerful man. He's not a private in the army. He's a general. He's a general in the army. He's a commander. Am I a Judean dog to be kicked around like this? He shouted. After all I've done for your father. Ishbosheth, are you kidding me? You're making this accusation of me after all I've done for your father? Don't forget, Abner is the one that pushed Ishbosheth to rival David as the next king of Israel. He was manipulating. He was thinking about his own world. He was thinking about what's in it for him, no doubt about that. But, but here, Ishbosheth has accused him. Of, of, of having relations with Rizpah, one of Saul's concubines, and Abner is absolutely irate over it. <clears throat> After all I've done for your father, Saul and his family and friends, by not handing you over to David, is this my reward that you find fault with me about this woman? Listen to what he says in verse 9. May God strike me and even kill me if I don't do everything I can to help David get what the Lord has promised him. Now that's an interesting statement that he makes to Ishbosheth. So Abner, he has the gall to, to try to establish an unanointed man to be the king, knowing all along that God had already anointed David to be the king. He thinks he's beyond reproach. He thinks he's untouchable. Abner does. How do you deal with a man who's untouchable? How do you deal with a man who believes he's untouchable? And so you've got this serious struggle taking place in the land. May God strike me and kill me if I don't do everything I can to help David get what the Lord has promised him. I'm going to take Saul's kingdom. Check that out. I'm going to take Saul's kingdom and give it to David. I will establish the throne of David over Israel as well as Judah all the way from Dan in the north to Beersheba in the south. Revenge. The revenge of a powerful, egotistical man. How do you deal with a powerful, egotistical man? How do you deal with a powerful, egotistical boss 
that believes they can accomplish anything because of who they are and what they do. How do you manage that? How do you handle that? How do you move forward with that? You're just caught up in that. Now, now think about this situation. Abner's captain, Abner's lieutenant, Ab, Abner's sergeant major, Abner's lance corporals. How are they going to deal with it? They're caught up in this. Can you imagine how this story trickles down and all the different gossip parties that's going on, all the different groups that are moving and shaking and, and trying to get some answers and, and, and fear that runs within this army of, of trying to figure out, now, how is this going to work out? Here's our commander, the one that promised me a promotion, the one that promised me more, more power and more money if he gets what he wants. And now all of a sudden he's accused uh, of this, this, uh, this uh, relationship thing with Rispa. And, and how are we going to move forward with this? I mean, he's stretching himself way too thin here. And, and there's lots of people that are caught up in this. Innocent people, Rispa is one. All of Abner's people are another. What's going to happen to us? And then, of course... You've got the fragile, you've got the weak Ishbosheth who has been placed in a position that he's not cut out for. And you see his fear come out in verse 11. Ishbosheth didn't dare say another word because he was afraid of what Abner might do. Have you ever found yourself between a rock and a hard place? Because there's a political struggle, a power struggle going on. And there's a weak leader on the top. There's a leader at the top that's just absolutely full of fear. And they're reactionary. And they're making decisions that are made for their own survival. Not for what's best for the people or for the kingdom or for the company, or, or the organization, or the team. What are we going to do? Think about Ishbosheth's people. Now he's got some people. He's got a staff. He's got people that live in his house with him that help organize his affairs. He, he's got people that, that have sworn allegiance to him. And they're innocent along the way. They're not part of David's group. They're not part of what's going on. They just have been, been faithful and loyal to Saul. They're way down the ranks. They were afraid of Saul, but he was the king, and they believed they should be faithful and loyal to Saul. And now Ishbosheth comes along, and they just go along with him. And they're faithful to him, they're loyal to him. And all of a sudden, these rumors start coming out of the palace. And they're caught up in it. Oh my. The war between David and Ishbosheth is fixing to get ruthless. What in the world are we going to do? And here's Ishbosheth. He makes the accusation, and now he's afraid to back it up. That's a tough spot. That's a tough spot for the innocent people who are just carried along for the ride. You, you may have found yourself in one of those situations from time to time. 
What do you do? How do you move forward? How do you cope? What, what side do you take? Where do you move from there? And then in this soap opera, we see in verse 12, we have David that when it came to the ladies, he just couldn't help himself. I mean, we've already seen he's taken on these other families in, in, uh, as he's reigning, and uh, he hasn't got to Jerusalem yet. He's in Hebron, and he's taken on these other families, and, and he has other wives, and he's, he's raising children, having children. He's got more and more responsibility going on. He's got an amazing struggle to be able to consolidate all of Israel together and him be the king of it. And here is an opportunity for him to let something go that he needed to let it go, but his pride or his ego or his want to, he just couldn't let it go. What is mine to have? What is mine to have? It may not be good for you to have what is yours to have. It may not be good for you to make someone make right a promise that they made to you. You may be stepping over into a realm that you don't need to be in. You may not need to be demanding your rights in this situation. It may be that you need to take a step back step and you need to let things kind of Maneuver along here because you're getting yourself in a hot mess really, really quickly because it is right for me to have it. Look at verse 12. Then Abner, Abner's doing his work. He's doing his political maneuvering. He is throwing around his political power. Then Abner sent messengers to David saying, doesn't the entire land belong to you? Make a solemn pact with me, and I will help turn over all of Israel to you. Scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. Those kind of, those kind of agreements are still made today in politics, aren't they? I think that you're right to want all that. I think you're right to want to pass that bill. I think you're right. I think your decision, this law that you're bringing forth, I, I believe that you're spot on. If you will support me in this area, in this bill, in this law, I'll support you and yours. And we lose money. <laughs> Our tax bill goes up every time that happens. And so here you go. Doesn't the entire land belong to you? Didn't God give it to you? Make a solemn pact with me and I will help turn over all of Israel to you. All right, David replied. Somebody should have slapped him right then. Somebody should be able to step in and say, David, don't go there. David, I know what you're thinking. David, leave it be. But David can't leave it be. And David responds, but I will not negotiate with you unless you bring back my wife, Michal, Saul's daughter, when you come. You remember Saul removed her away from him. Now, the reason he married Michal and Michal became his wife was because he brought all those um, foreskins to, to Saul. He murdered all those Philistines. He earned the right for her. 
He earned the right for her to be his wife in battle. And you know this is agitating him. You know this is under his skin. You know that when he mourned so beautifully for, for Saul, you know when he did the right thing at the right time, obviously he had a burr under his saddle about Mikhail. Now, maybe it was because, because she never liked him. We'll find out later. She has contempt for David. She didn't care about David. She didn't want to be. She was just the, the king's uh, uh, daughter, and she had no choice in the matter. But, but that burr under David's saddle is wearing on him. I'm sure he was bitter about it. He was resentful about it. And the very first opportunity he has to negotiate to get her back, he does it. Oh, David, you should have let it go. You've got enough to deal with. You don't need her in your, in your palace. It's a problem. But he just couldn't stand it. Have you found yourself in that kind of situation? It is right for you to have it by George. It is right for you to have it. It is yours. It was promised to you. It's what you deserve. It's what you're owed. And the very thing that you're craving for is bad for you. And many times we're walking outside of the Spirit's direction when we are just absolutely just controlled by this fleshly desire, what we believe is our right to have. I, I, it's my right to be appreciated it's my right to be honored. It's my right for people to listen to me. It's my right to have this promotion. It's my right to get this business. And we do all we can to, to have what we believe is right for ours. And there's a lot of times that it's a bad, bad result. He just couldn't handle it, though. He just couldn't stop it. David then sent this message to Ishbosheth, Saul's son. Give me back my wife, Michal, for I bought her with the lives of 100 Philistines. So Ishbosheth took Michal away from her husband, Palti, son of Laish. Man, this verse 16. This is one of the saddest verses in the Bible. Check this out. Palti. First of all, his name, Palti. Maybe it was different for his day and time. Palti. I believe I'd be changing my name if I was Palti. Anyway, Palti followed along behind her as far as Barum, weeping as he went. That's sad. I feel for old Palti. They came and by force took Mikhail away from him. And they took him, and they're marching her to David. She's part of a political deal. She's part of, uh, uh, she's, the, she's the, the part, she's the thing, she's the bait that David says is required for him to be able to negotiate with Abner. 
Ishbosheth. And they took her away from him. I reckon he loved her. We don't know much about their situation. This is pretty much all we know about Palti, but man, can you imagine how difficult that would be? How hard that would be? And it says that he followed along behind as far as he could, weeping as he went. Then Abner told him, go back home. So Palti returned. I wonder what I returned to. Well, we know he returned to an empty home. Man, to me, that's just devastating. There's a lot of innocent people hurt when people are taking matters into their own hands. Have you experienced that? Have you experienced it when the Abners in your world are moving and shaking and doing their thing, that there's a lot of innocent people that are hurt along the way? Don't you know when, when there are Ishbosheths in your life are, are full of weakness and they're supposed to be making good choices and good decisions on your benefit and they're not capable of making those choices, those decisions, they're not good leaders, that there's a lot of innocent people that are bruised along the way. And that's Palti. He's just innocent. Man, I, I, I want to be, you know, analytical here, not analytical, let's let the word be, uh, you know, put conjecture in here or try to paint a story. When Paul T. met her, he fell in love with her. It was at the Hebrew dog shop, you know, when they get those Hebrew dogs, hot dogs, not dog dogs. And he looked across the room and boy, she was just beautiful to him. Found out who she was. Oh, one of Saul's girls. Wow, she's a catch. And he sent her some roses and he sent her some, you know, some some gifts along the way and took her out and they had falafel and all those kind of things. And they fell in love. And they were just happy as they could be. Just rocking along. No telling what kind of plans he had. No telling what was going on. Doesn't say whether or not she was okay with any of that. It just says that one day, Ishbosheth took Michal away from her husband, Palti. All the innocent people who are bruised along the way is a lesson from Palti. And then we have more political maneuvering. Look in verse 17. Meanwhile, Abner had consulted with the elders of Israel for some time now, he told them, you have wanted to make David your king. Now is the time. For the Lord has said, I have chosen David to save my people Israel from the hands of the Philistines and from all of their other enemies. Abner also spoke with the men of Benjamin. Then he went to Hebron to tell David that all the people of Israel and Benjamin had agreed to support him. When Abner and 20 of his men came to Hebron, David entertained them with a great feast. Then Abner said to David, let me go and call an assembly of all Israel to support my Lord, the king, they will make a covenant with you to make you their king. And you will rule over everything your heart desires. So David sent Abner safely on his way. Now, Rispa is innocent. Abner's people are innocent. Ishbosheth's people are innocent. In this regard, Michal is innocent. And poor old Palti is innocent in this situation. 
And even David is innocent in this political maneuvering. The deal is brought to David. He's not going to reject this deal because it's rightfully his. He's been anointed by God to be the king. It was verified with Samuel. It's been verified with the hand of God on his life. Now, he's to blame for not negotiation without Mikhail. He's, he's, he's responsible for a paltry situation. No question about that. But you've got all these innocent people along the way. And now you've got some murder. In every good soap opera, you've got to have some murder. Who shot J.R. Ewing? Remember that? Some of y'all may not know about that. Verse 22, but just after David has sent Abner away in safety, Joab, Joab's back in action here. And some of David's troops returned from a raid, bringing much plunder with them. When Joab arrived, he was told that Abner had just been there visiting the king and had been sent away in safety. Now, when David says, don't harm this guy, he sends away in safety, that should be followed. That, that should be the law of the land. Abner is safe. Don't touch Abner. Leave Abner be. I mean, Joab be. Joab rushed to the king and demanded, what have you done? What do you mean by letting Abner get away? You know perfectly well that he came to spy on you and find out everything you're doing. Joab then left David and sent messengers to catch up with Abner, asking him to return. They found him at the well of Sarah and brought him back, though David knew nothing about it. When Abner arrived back at Hebron, Joab took him aside at the gateway as if to speak with him privately. But then he stabbed Abner in the stomach and killed him in revenge for killing his brother ACL. Remember ACL? He rode like a gazelle. Well, he's, he, he, he took Abner's life for revenge of Abner killing his brother. When David heard about it, he declared, I vow by the Lord that I and my kingdom are forever innocent of this crime against Abner, son of Ner. Joab and his family are the guilty ones. May the family of Joab be cursed in every generation with a man who has open sores or leprosy or who walks on crutches or dies by the sword or begs for food. So Joab and his brother Abishai killed Abner because Abner had killed their brother Asiel at the Battle of Gibeon. Murder. Murder. Every good soap opera has got a little murder in there, doesn't it? And here you have it. And David is absolutely innocent. He's enraged about it. It's wrong. It's, a, it's an injustice. And then you have a good funeral. Then David said to Joab and all those who were with him, tear your clothes and put on burlap, mourn for Abner. And King David himself walked behind the procession to the grave. They buried Abner in Hebron, and the king and all the people wept at his graveside. Then the king sang a funeral song for Abner. Should Abner have died as fools die? Your hands were not bound, your feet were not chained. You No, you were murdered, the victim of a wicked plot. Imagine that being sung at the man's funeral. All the people wept again for Abner. All the people. 
David had refused to eat anything on that day of the funeral. <clears throat> and now everyone begged him to eat. But David had made a vow saying, may God strike me and even kill me if I eat anything before sundown. He's mourning. Look in verse 36. This pleased the people very much. It's a good funeral for David. This pleased the people very much. In fact, everything the king did pleased them. So everyone in Judah and all over Israel understood that David was not responsible for Abner's murder. Then King David said to his officials, Don't you realize that a great commander has fallen today in Israel? And even though I am the anointed king, those two sons of Zariah, Joab and Abishai, are too strong for me to control. So may the Lord repay these evil men for their evil deeds. That's our answer right there to the question, what in the world do we do when we find ourselves caught up in a soap opera? What do we do when we're innocent and things are going on around us as absolutely crazy? What do we do? How do we move forward? What do we do when everybody takes sides about an issue? What do we do when, when the politics at our company are beyond our ability to deal with? What do we do when we are uh, answerable to real powerful people who aren't good leaders? What do we do? How do we respond? How do we move forward? What do we do when their accusations are made? What do we do when the accusations are made about us? What do we do when accusations are made about our leader? What do we do when people seek revenge? What do we do when there's absolute crazy going on around us? First thing is this. This story, we see here the lesson there is nothing God cannot use or will not use to bring about His purpose. That's your very first thing to keep in mind. Here we've got accusation. We've got revenge. We've got fear. We've got some greed. What is mine to have? We've got political maneuvering. We've got murder. And we've got a good funeral. We've got horrible things second place. We have got innocent people who are caught up in this mess. What do we do? How to respond? We keep in mind there's nothing that can get in the way of what God wants to do when God chooses to. There's nothing God cannot use. There's nothing God will not use to bring about his purpose. And so God used this accusation. God used this revenge. God used the fear of Ishbosheth. God used even the situation with David in this deal. God used the political maneuvering. God was not favorable with that political maneuvering. God, God is not okay with the injustice that Abner's throwing down. I mean, Proverbs clearly tells us that God hates what, what Abner is all about. He hates it. He, he just can't stand when that kind of injustice is being thrown down. God is not part of this political maneuvering, but God 
will use it for his purpose. And so, since we acknowledge that God will use anything, that God can use anything, then we need to realize that what we need to do is take a back step, get out of that situation the best we can, and let God do what God can do. Let God do what God wants to do. The truth is, we may not know what God wants to do in these messes. And so we need to just let God do what God wants to do. Hard for us to do that, isn't it? We want what's mine. We want what's ours. We want to be part of the solution. We want to be part of the, the, the political struggling. We want to be part of the movement. We believe in something, and so we're going to get part of something. And if we're not careful, we'll put ourselves in the wrong place over and over and over again. It's a real good thing when, when people cannot use your name as a weapon to get their way. It's a real good thing, especially when you're one of the innocent bystanders. They don't know what side you're on. It's a good thing when there's a real mess going on. Now, I don't know what, what old Junior thinks about this situation. He's real quiet about it. Well, Junior is praying and asking God to do what only God can do. Take a back step and recognize, God, you've really got a problem here. I have no solution. And when you're really in a mess, in this kind of mess, you know, the innocent people, they don't have a solution here. There's nothing they can even do about it. They can't even have a sit down with Abner. They can't have a sit down with Ishbosheth. They can't have a sit down with David. They can't get to him. But they can trust Almighty God. They can have a sit down with God. And that's what they need to do. That's the best thing to do. That's, that's where the greatest strength is. So when it's happening all around you, recognize that you need to be on the side of the Lord. You need to find out what the side of the Lord is. You got to recognize that God's purpose is at work. You need to get in the Word. You need to get in the Scripture. You need to get in prayer. You need to get God's heart understood so you can know what needs to be said, when it needs to be said, and how it needs to be said. You need to know when God moves and when you feel He moved and when you may only have one opportunity to be the voice of reason in a chaos, in a mess. And you need to be ready for that one step, step that one opportunity to step in and speak God's truth in a situation. Your truth and God's truth may be the same. You may say, see things the way God sees them. That may be your understanding, but you need to wait until it's the time that God has. It's really good to walk away and recognize it's, a, it's wisdom to know when to speak and when not to speak. Fellas, ladies, your chaos that you may be going through in your life today, it may be the time not to speak, not to be do anything, but to pray and seek God's direction and let God work because there's nothing God cannot do. There's nothing God will not use. And we've got to recognize that that God has a plan for his purpose and he has a timing and 
he is going to use all the pieces of the chaos for his purpose when he decides to do so. And he always knows what's best. Now, the last lesson we have here in the scripture is this. Joab and Abishai, King David said, they're too strong for me to control. That's a, that's a wise understanding. I had the word out that Abner was to be safe. I can't control Joab and Abishai. Joab and Abishai are controlled by anger and revenge and murder. They have tasted blood. There's, I do not have the ability to control them. So a good exercise for us is what David is doing here. David recognized what he could control and what he couldn't control. And what he couldn't control, he said, it's, to, it's up to the Lord to deal with them. He said, so may the Lord repay these evil men for their evil deeds. And so David says, I'm not going to raise the finger towards those guys. I can't control them. May the Lord do as he decides to do with them. It's a good practice. It's a good thing to do. It's a good uh, uh, self-assessment. Get out a piece of paper and write down all the things in life you can control. Write them down. You'll sit there for a while. You'll probably write a few things down, and after you think about it a while, you'll erase them. So maybe do it in pencil. Write all the things that you can control. Write them down. And then write all the things you can't control. You'll go through two or three pencils. You'll write all all, all day long. You can't control. You can't control. I can't control this person. I can't control that person. I can't control the circumstances. I can't control this matter, that matter, this matter, that matter. And you'll discover that you've got a long list of things in your life right now that you have absolutely no control over. King David can control these two boys. And and David was no different from us. He had a long list of things he can control, and we've got a long list of things that we can't control. We've got to turn it over to the Lord. Lord, you got a big problem. That Abishai, that Joab, God, you've got a big problem with those two boys. If you want to give me updates of how you're dealing with it, I'm available, but I release them to you. That's what David did. So, some lessons I hope that might mean something to you today. If you're in a soap opera, if you're in a mess, if you're in that mess as an innocent bystander, let God do what God can do. Know what you need to do and what you don't need to do. Be careful about having the solution. You may not. Be careful about having the solution that may not be the right time. Be careful about having the solution you might get in the way of what God wants to do. And trust God to do what only God can do. What happened in this mess, in this chaos? David took even more steps closer 
to being the king of a unified Israel, which is the purpose of God. Help us, Lord, to learn today from King David once again. Help us to learn from all these parties, all the people that are involved in this situation, and guide and lead us, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for all you do for us. We praise your holy name. In Jesus' name, amen. Ushers, please come forward.